0: So I uh, have a uh, dilemma that uh, someone came up to me this morning and said, hey, we have a dilemma, and I said yes, and uh, uh, they said, um, which is always good to hear, and uh, they said, we want to get baptized. I was like, how's that a dilemma? Oh. Okay. Um, All right, so here's what we're going to do. We've got two options. The second option... Is um, just like football playering this, just run right <laughs> through it. Um, that's the second option. The first is something we're going to do after church is over. I'm going to try to duct tape together a live feed so that I can we can have someone standing back here and y'all can see the baptism on the screens. Um, and uh, but so after church, um, go you can go get your kids, but kind of come back. Because I'm going to be working on that. I couldn't, that was me whenever the screen went down. That was me like, oh, let me see if I could, this will work. And everything just went down. So we are going to figure it out. Um, it will happen. Um, but also this means you don't have to make the walk during the invitation song. We've already announced it. You're ready to go, Greg. Um, so it's Greg Parker, correct? Yeah, Greg Parker. Um, he comes with Shonda. And um, he, he wants to get baptized today. So we are going to do that. And we are going to figure out how, because we do things like that. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's good news. Everyone, yeah, congratulate Greg on this decision. fantastic news. That is not a dilemma. It is not a dilemma. Um, I, you know, that school should teach your kids two things, how to lead and how to solve interesting problems. And let's solve an interesting problem together. That should be fun. Um, all right. Speaking of, let's talk about Job. Job is um, is an interesting case study because we know the first two chapters and the last eight verses of Job, and there's 42 chapters of Job. The rest is poetry, and you know how much Americans love poetry, right, Judy? Yeah, your your teens don't love it, do they? Um, like this doesn't even rhyme. That's, that's what teens think of poetry, and we continue with that all throughout lives. But any time in the Bible that you see like those little indented sections where it's indented you know, in weird ways, those are poems. Those are typically Hebrew poems, and you see it a couple times in the New Testament. It's Greek poetry. So how do we wade into 37 chapters of Job arguing with his friends through poetry? Well, it starts with me yelling at church signs. I yell at church signs sometimes. Um, I never yell at ours. Um, Bobby Joe and Jerry Green change our church sign, and they do a fantastic job of never being cute. Cute church signs irritate the fire out of me. It's like, this is, you hot, this church is prayer conditioned. Sounds really hot still air conditioning doesn't work. For air conditioning. C H C H. What's missing? You are. Yep, those two letters are missing. What is that? So I will kind of rant about those in the car. And I love ours. Ours is real simple. God loves you sometimes. A while back, God loves you. That's it. That is so true. The second part of the church signs that bother me, and I've got to work on this, this is a me problem, is that I sometimes I think, well, these are kind of incomplete. Well, of course they're incomplete, dummy. They're church signs. It's like when people walk out of a movie going, you know what, the book is better. Well, yep, because it was a book. And books are fantastic. It's a different medium. No one walks out of like Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club band and said, oh, the record was better. Well, yeah, it was different. Thank you. That was for, that was for Rob only, apparently. <laughs> Rob gets that analogy. Like, it's just two different mediums. You can't be, you can't have a complete theology unless it's God loves you or God is love on a church sign. So I shouldn't expect that. That's a me problem. I need to calm down. Now, I will still ridicule cute But incomplete theology on church signs is just what church signs were made for. Incomplete theology can go a long way to harm us, though. One of my least favorite things to be a part of is a funeral visitation. Now, I will go and um, be with the family. I love that part of my job. But, when someone i love and someone in my family dies it's an odd event those visitations because they're just a couple of days after and what a visitation is is a family who's grieving stands up front and comforts a town because of their loss people come in i loved your grandma and she, and you say oh yeah i know i know Visitations really should be like a the, the funeral is for the family. Visitations for the community, and it's hosted by the family. And the community comes in and tries to say things in your grief. They try to tell you things that are like, you know, God, God has a plan. Okay. How does God's plan take my grandmother in her 60s? How does God's plan uh, have anything to do with cancer? What do you mean God has a plan? Now, I think God can use this, but this wasn't, God wasn't like in the beginning of time saying, and then there will, we'll create hippopotamuses, and then Benjamin's grandmother will die. Like, that wasn't a part of his plan. God needed another angel. Well, that one's just silly. Let me, people come in and they want to help. They want to comfort. But coming in with just a little bit of theology is going to go very poorly. A lot of times when someone's sad, right, you just sit with them and tell them I love you. What can I do for you? I love you. Here's some Subway gift cards. Oh, give them something. I don't know. But you're just sitting with them. This thing's really close to me. You're just, I thought We thought last night it'd be funny if I preached in um, a bathing suit. <laughs> but then we amended that to it would be funnier if I wore a full suit and then just like one of those duck rings around my waist. Really fit the theme here. Um. I get distracted too easily. I apologize for that. I'll try to repent. But this was too close, and it led to me talking about a duck ring around my waist. So a little bit of theology in the wrong time, the wrong place can really hurt and can really sting, especially if you're grieving. And that's what what Job's friends do. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar come, and they sit with him a while, but then when he finally actually grieves... They can't handle it. Okay, let's set the scene a little bit. Uh, Job lived in the land of Uz, and he was blameless and upright. This is important to the whole thing. Because the the narrator and God both at different times say uh, that, that Job is blameless, upright, he fears God, he shuns evil. This is what Job is. He's blameless, upright, fears God, shuns evil. All right, you need to know that for the whole book of Job. Because Satan comes into the presence of God and asks the pivotal question of Job. Does man fear God for nothing? Like if we got nothing in return, would we still honor God? Are we, in the, are we in it for the relationship or are we in it for the transaction of salvation? Are we worshiping at the feet of God because God deserves to be worshiped? Or are we worshiping at the feet of God because God might do something good for us? Is it a contract Or it is a relationship? Which is? That's what Satan's question is. Will man serve God for nothing? He asks, he says um, twice. If you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, he will surely curse you to his face. This is what Satan thinks about us. If you give him a hard time, if you give him a struggle, he will surely curse you. He says it again about health. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will curse you to your face. And all of these things happen. Now, God puts Job in this situation not to prove, just to prove Satan wrong, but he believes in Job. See, the, the main, God's main role in the book of Job is, the, God's main position is that when Satan says, Does man serve God for nothing? Or will man serve God for absolutely nothing? God believes in us. God believes we will. God believes we're in it for the relationship. He says, yeah, take all he has. Take his health. I believe in Job. Satan thinks he'll curse him. And then Job chapter 3 begins with this kind of climactic event of, Well, what's going to happen? Will he curse him? And after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He didn't curse God. Now all the angels rejoice. God is right and Satan is wrong. God believes in man and for good reason. Man will serve God for nothing. But his whole whole message there in chapter 3 is, I wish I wouldn't have ever born. This is awful. Awful. And his friends... Don't like hearing it. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar think he's wrong to grieve. They think he's wrong. Eliphaz, who has um, the coolest name and he knows it, says, he's like this, Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where where were the upright ever destroyed? As I've observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God, they perish, and at the blast of his anger, they are no more. Now, what's crazy is this is the Bible, and it's wrong. Because it's in the mouth of someone who's incorrect. That only bad people are getting trouble. Only people who are, who are, who are unrepentant find trouble, and this isn't true. Now, at times, God does curse bad people. God does punish bad people in the Old Testament. And so it's kind of true. But kind of true isn't true. And they're trying to say this is who God is. God will punish people when they're bad and he'll lift people up when they're good. And that's how God works all the time. Eliphaz goes on to say later, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man make, uh, be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, which is like these little if statements that are completely incorrect, how much more those who live in the houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth? And here's, his, here's what he says. But if I were you, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. Blessed is the one who, correct, who God Almighty corrects. So do not despise the discipline. Basically, Eliphaz says, all right, listen, Job. You're saying that the day of your birth needs to be cursed. But you need to repent. Now, remember what what it says at the very beginning of Job. Job was an upright man who feared God, blameless in his sight. He has to set those parameters to say, Eliphaz is wrong here. He doesn't have anything to repent. Like, there's no Repentance. But Eliphaz says people who turn against God need to repent. And Job, you need to repent. Job's response is anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Do you mean to correct? This is a big one. Do you mean to correct what I say and treat my desperate words as wind? When we come to our friends who are grieving and say, well, what could you have done better? Or maybe you're not living the right way for God. We are treating their desperate words as wind. Bildad doubles down. They're all saying the same thing. God is so much bigger than us, and we are so pitiful and worthless, that who are we when God's going to punish us for our worthlessness? How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Like he comes back and says, yeah, your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Whoa, Bildad, hold on. All of Job's kids died? And he was like, well, they were sinners. Not cool, Joe. Or Bill, Dad. But if you seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you're pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself and on your behalf restore you to your prosperous state. Zophar goes even further, yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hand to him, if you put away the sin in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent or house, then free, free of faults, you will lift up your face, you will stand firm and without fear, you will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters gone by. Guess what Job's friends, guess what Job's friends think about God? They think the relationship is a transaction. That God does, that when we are bad, God does bad things to us. And when we are good, God does good things to us. And he think they think that's how it works. But Job is upright and blameless and he fears God for nothing. He fears God, he loves God because of the relationship. And this is where we get in trouble when we think about God. Because when we think about God, we think we've got it all together. We think our theology, which is just studying about God, we think our theology is complete. And you can't have a complete theology about God. If you know everything about God, then you created him. But if there's parts of God that dumbfound you, if there's parts of God that make you go, I don't get that. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Blessed are the ignorant, for they truly understand God. Those who say, yeah, I kind of see some things here, and God does this at this place, and this in another place, but... The rest, I'm fuzzy in places. Like, I'm, I don't get it all the time. I am not always right. And sometimes we try to come up with these thoughts about God, and we say, oh, this is how God works. God works like this all the time, always. But God wants to be in a relationship with you. and God can do what God wants pleases. God is not confined to my thoughts about God. How would we even know that? Job's friends tried to comfort him and they failed. They failed because they tried to comfort him with a God they knew everything about. And that God doesn't exist. A God we know everything about is a figment of our imagination. But a big God who we can't even comprehend, we can't wrap our mind around. A God that we fear because our, and worship and love and adore and honor Because you're bigger than me. I cannot prove to you that God exists. I can't. But what we can do is point to God summed up, God is summed up in Scripture. And it's not through an argument. It's not through Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar the way they tried to do it. It's not how we try to do it, piecing together letters of Paul and saying, well, this is how God works and this is how God functions. It's it's Jesus of Nazareth walking around from town to town teaching, loving, and taking care of people. It's the Messiah. The truest understanding of who God is the most complete understanding. Now, notice, we're not going to get it all. We're not going to understand it all, all the time. Maybe even not most of the time. But the truest understanding of God is found in Jesus. When God became man and dwelt among us, that's the truest form of, God, so when we get into like these arguments about well I don't know what God's will is and I don't know how God functions in this situation and when there's pain what happens and when there's suffering what happens and we leave out Jesus we're missing the most the most crucial part of understanding God is when God became man he loved the poor, he loved the sinner, he, he, he fed the hungry, turned water into wine, which we can't do, but we, we see the majesty of God simplified into Jesus. And while theology cannot fit on a church sign, it can fit On the king. It can be summed up in the Messiah. Do I know everything about God because I know Jesus? No. But I know God because I know Jesus. And Jesus was more concerned with the relationships people had than the religion they followed. Than the the structures and the theologies that they explained. Jesus, Jesus fed people and healed people. He healed someone on the Sabbath, and someone said, which is the day of rest for the Jewish community. Everyone's got to rest. Don't do anything. And he healed someone on the Sabbath, and they said, oh, is that okay? Is that okay to do? Can you, can you break that rule to make this thing good? And Jesus says the laws, the Sabbath, were made for man, not man for them. The laws served man. Man doesn't serve the laws. So every time God forgives us, this is from Richard Rohr, a Franciscan monk. Every time God forgives us, he tells us that our relationship with him is more important than his rules for us. He values us more than he's angry at our brokenness. God loves you. And we see that in Jesus. God wants you. And we see that through Jesus. God wants you to be in his presence. You know, sometimes we talk about it. You can hear it in our prayers. God, we are so sinful and we are awful and we are worthless and we don't, we, I, we don't even deserve to be in your presence. But the whole time he's saying, well, come on. Come be in my presence. God, God wants us. God likes us. God enjoys us. Sometimes we think God sees us and all God sees is our sin. But God sees the people he created and he loves and that he sent his son to die on a cross and conquer death for. He sees people that he enjoys. Jesus didn't come to earth and go, oh my goodness, you people are horrific. He said, blessed are the poor Blessed are those who are sad. Blessed are those who who make peace. I think we need to abandon our own theologies about God and get real good at following Jesus. Because it's only in Jesus that we can find comfort, that we can find rest. It's only in Jesus that we can find um, beauty and hope. Salvation. It's not in our understandings. It's in Jesus. It's not in our doctrine. It's in Jesus. And Jesus is going to lead us into some tough places and ask us to do some things um, to join with him, to show commitment to him. But we find everything we need in the person and king of Jesus. And so we will always come back to that. So when we walk into visitations, it's because of Jesus we find hope. When we sit at a funeral, it's because of Jesus we find hope. When we are sick and everything is lost, it's because of Jesus we find hope. Not convenience, not ease, hope. And we will find that hope, we will find it... Abundantly in Jesus. If you want to be with God, be God's this morning through Jesus, through joining in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, if you, if it, we're, we're going to figure out a baptism today. And Greg's going first. But if you want to go second and join with Jesus today, most complete and full understanding of God we have. The King, the Redeemer, the Savior. Please come forward while we stand and sing.